Ahorita vuelvo, ojitos. Ahorita vuelvo. Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of Thinking Aloud about film. I'm Jose. I'm Richard. And we are continuing with our exploration of the work of Arturo Ripstein. Today we're looking at Cadena Perpetua. What's the English title of the Life Sentence. Life Sentence. A real departure in many ways from the work that we've seen from Ripstein to this point. Richard, your thoughts? For the first time in this series of films, I was actually quite disappointed ah. with this one. It was very different. I mean, it's a crime drama. It felt to me a lot more cliched, much more of a pure exploitation film than, than the others we've seen. But maybe you liked it better than I did. It's interesting because at the beginning of the film, I thought a little bit like you. I thought, oh, how this is so different from what we've seen and it just feels like a crime drama and you do see things that resemble his other films the sexism you know the patriarchal attitude that all men have access to all women at all times the treatment of women seemed less distanced than in his other films where you know he was more clearly for them this seemed kind of more objective. But then, as the film unfolded, I began to see it as a really great noir, yeah? That all these worlds, the worlds of the street and the flashbacks to his youth, you know, and the police implications and so on. What it brought to mind for me is like, you know, crime and punishment, yeah, Dostoevsky and you know, Jean Valjean <laughs> in Le Miserable <laughs> and, you know, Bresson's pickpocket. Yeah, it, you, it's, yeah. it's about... It, it reminded me of uh, I'm a Fugitive from the Chain Gang. Yeah, I'm a Fugitive the from end, the Chain Gang. Shot. It's a real critique of a corrupt culture in which, you know, an individual has no way out. You know, the whole country is distracted by a football match where, you know, the national team is playing Germany and this kind of burrows and bubbles kind of underneath the whole thing. So, you know, it's in a society of spectacle where there's no way out for an individual, really. And the problem is not this guy who, who's a petty criminal, but actually it's kind of all the institutions that uphold that criminality, that in fact demand it, yeah, and the worst of all, of course, is the police. Yeah, so by the time that you get to that last look, yeah, it's a close-up of the protagonist looking on directly at the audience, yeah, saying, this is you, this is me, this is us. Yeah, there's no <laughs> way out. I thought it was magnificent. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we talked a bit about the plot, but basically what happens is it starts off in the present day, late 70s, and... You see there's a, there's a guy working for a bank and then you, you through flashbacks, you start to realise he was a, in his youth, although he's played by the same actor. So he, he looks like he's in his <laughs> mid 40s yes. all, all throughout the film. Uh, but they might have been better to cast two actors. But anyway, 
a note on that actor, by the way, because he is the son of Pedro Armendariz, who was the huge, huge, wonderful star of all of these films of the golden age of Mexican cinema. Yeah, particularly the films of uh, Emiliano Fernandez. Yeah, so The Pearl, La, La, La Perla. He is the star of all of these films, many of them co-starring Dolores del Rio. Right. And of course, he is in From Russia with Love. Yeah, the okay. Turkish pal of Sean Connery. That's the father. Yeah, a huge right, icon right. of, of Mexican cinema. So this is his son, quite handsome, but a bit bland, it's true, that, yeah, that yeah. plays this role from the ages of 16 to 45. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Looking I mean, exactly he, he's, a, he's a very convincing 45-year-old, I'll put it that way. <laughs> and I think that didn't help. Anyway, you see through these flashbacks, he was a, a petty criminal. He was a, a pickpocket. He was a thief. He was a pimp. He's eventually imprisoned. He ends up working in, I guess, some salt salt flats or something. Actually, it the, it's a, it, the salt mines thing is another iconic aspect of... Um, well, Mexican culture and also Mexican cinema. There is actually a film called Las Islas Marias, which I will put a link to it. I have written on that. And it is like a penal colony, yeah, where criminals were sent to work the salt mines, the harshest and most, most punitive place to send hardened criminals to. Okay. So, yeah, he's there. He, he nearly gets killed. I mean, he's, he's stabbed at one point by the, by the warder. He, he nearly dies. Then he gets out and he somehow gets a job in a bank which you do wonder if they do wonder about their recruitment policies <laughs> actually did they not ask for a reference no but the, but the film tells you that they knew about it they knew and that the boss was kind of a reformist and the only reason why he got the job was because the the boss believes in second chances mm. but then he's kind of as in is inevitable in this kind of film he's he's dragged back into the criminal underworld because he meets people from his past who want to get him involved because he's collecting wages they're going to rob this cash from him and implicate him and so he's then trying to work out a way out of that you know the corrupt police beat him up again he tries to find his sympathetic boss but his boss is nowhere to be found and that's how it ends really that he, he's sort of dragged back into this underworld he doesn't see a way out so he steals someone's wallet one of the reasons why i think the film is so wonderful is because it's constantly destabilizing the viewer in relation to what you think you know, right? So at the very beginning of the film, you think that this is a former criminal who can't leave the life of crime and has returned to it by robbing his workplace, right? And then you have you know a series of flashbacks where you realize that actually it's not him or his character, or his desire for money, yeah, that has lured him back to a life of crime. It's actually a demand from the police who have robbed him, and he then tries to find help everywhere he can, and no one is there to help him, and you know, he can't find anyone to hear him. So then he goes back to get help from a former acquaintance, yeah, who is a criminal and pays off everyone, and he's the one who sets up this robbery that begins the film. And this character is played by the fantastic drag queen that we saw in 
a place without limits, yeah? Yes, yeah. You begin by thinking that he's returned to a life of crime, and then by the end of the film, you see it's really the police that have forced him into a life of crime, yeah? And then, in the last shot, look at the culture we live in. Isn't it horrible? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I love that. I love that flashback, slightly flash forward kind of narrative structure. It's a real noir. It's a noir in color, but it's a noir. You have like this kind of labyrinthine narrative, you know, you have this underworld, you have the flashbacks, you have the voiceover. It's very much about uh, the existential aloneness of this person in the world, helpless and driven to criminality by forces that are outside of his control, but that are structural. And I loved that he's no angel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that must be said. He's a crook who opts for the easy life. He's very nice, he's very pleasant. You never see him do any, anything brutal, but he can't keep his cock in his pants. And he's obviously ter terrific at it. The women can't keep their hands off him either, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, he can keep his cock in his pants because one of the things that annoy me a little about the film is that in all the sex scenes, the women are completely naked and are walking around naked, showing frontal nudity. He spends his whole time wearing these baggy wife fronts, sure. which is, is kind of classic exploitation cinema thing that the women are naked and the men aren't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I don't, I don't even think it's exploitation. I think, you know, it's the, the sexist norms of the day. I mean, I think it's a disservice to call it something that is just an exploitation cinema. I mean, you know, you see that in films with, you know, Warren Beatty and Robert Redford and all the big stars of the period. Like, you know, the women are always showing their tits and the men show nothing, right? Like, yeah, that yeah, is really yeah. kind of, you know, the sexist convention of the time that is not only the realm of the exploitation film. Though, of course, the exploitation film takes it to another level <laughs> yeah, yeah are there moments that, that struck you less so than in the other films but i, I think the the sequence on the in the salt mine was very visually striking and i did like the transition into the flashback because the present day framing sequence almost looked like a tv movie or something but then it moves moves back to the past and you've got this very different color palette and it, the, the past sequences look much more like the the other Ripstein films yes. we've watched. I thought that was quite interesting. Yes, I thought that was wonderful. Uh, I loved all the flashbacks to his pimping days. <sighs> yeah, the streets, the way that he talks to the women. You also get this sense of, a, I don't know, a sweaty, oily, grimy, relentless sexuality on his part. I mean, I thought yeah. there's a scene in the film where you know, he's just had sex many times with this woman and he wants more and she won't give it to him and he goes back to a bar and picks up someone else, right? Well, no, it's like he's been having dinner with this group in, in the bar and then meets another woman, heads off to the hotel with that woman and screws her, yeah. then goes back to the bar to the original group he was with. Yes. He realises by mistake he's taken her to the same hotel that the other woman is still in the room. I know, and he says, so, "Oh no, let's let's go to the Touristo Hotel instead. It's cleaner." <laughs> and then, and then, you know, he he screws her, and and then you see him walking the street, meeting his prostitutes. I mean, yeah. he, he's he's yeah. just he's, relentless. Yeah, he's insatiable, uh, and he's conscious of his sex appeal, and he uses it 
yeah, in all areas mm. of but, his life. Which was a problem because you know, he's supposed to have this massive sex appeal, but at the point he's supposed to be 18, he's this kind of slightly dumpy 45-year-old man. I know, but if you just go with the <laughs> film, if you pretend that, yeah, if, yeah, you, if you yeah. can buy it, you know, it, it makes sense and it has a logic. And actually, the whole scene where he's in the Islas Marias, the scene with the um, prison guard who takes a fancy to him, I thought that scene was like fantastic because it's so clearly homoerotic. You have this prison guard who's married to this woman who he can't satisfy, yeah, who is really f fucking everyone else, and he knows she is, who basically from all he says, has fallen in love with our hero. Yeah, you're my friend, yeah, you're yeah. the best friend, you're a good friend, like, you're so fine and refined and this and that. And of course what happens is, as soon as he leaves, Tarzan, <laughs> which is his street name, yeah, fucks his wife. And then when the prison guard stabs him, you get this feeling that it's not just, you know, that a friend doesn't do that. It's not just revenge for having screwed his wife. There's an element of sexual jealousy there, yeah. Yeah, I thought, yeah. You know, that was. I thought that was a fantastic scene. Um, I was talking about Creed three the other day, and one of the problems I thought with the film was that it didn't dramatize things. This is the work of a dramatist. It begins in action and in conflict, right? That robbery, you know, where where so many things go wrong, and one of the things that goes wrong is that the police shoot this guy in the back on the head they don't even aim for his knees to stop running yeah anything, yeah right? so you're already in the middle of this drama i think the filmmakers managed to kind of create all these tensions and bring in all these layers of values into every scene and i think the scene with the prison guard is a real example of that i started by thinking as you did but i ended by thinking oh this is great yeah and part of the reason why it's great is because on the one hand it's a story of an individual, yeah, of a kind of a charming, not bad person, but a, but a criminal. And it ends up kind of throughout also, and maybe even much more powerfully, being an indictment of the society in which it's made. A bit like Pichot that we talked about a yes. few months ago in that sense, that this kind of, this corruption is at all levels. Yeah, uh, the film goes to great lengths to show you that Tarzan is no different than the other man. So when he goes into the bank, right, to try and get help, he bursts into all of these middle managers fucking with the secretaries, right? Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, at a party that's not supposed to take place on a Friday afternoon because the boss is away. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, so actually what he does is no different than what any other man does and what, you know, that, or what any other banker does, right? Uh, and certainly much less than what the police do. Yeah. So so I think the film kind of communicates all of that vividly. And actually, and it does so in a way that moves and flows and, you know, that kind of has this complex structure that is communicating to you in a way that seems to flow legibly. Yeah, you're never lost in the narrative, which I think is really quite extraordinary because the, the flashbacks are not signaled. And I also love the design of it. So, and as you said, you go from the seedy underworld of bars yeah, to that brutalist modern concrete bank yeah, with a curved staircase, right? Again, a very interesting kind of juxtaposition uh, between the two um, that I thought worked 
Rather marvelously. And I also loved the songs. Yes. Yeah, the music was great, yeah. yeah. Kind of these Mexican songs for men to cry to. <laughs> <laughs> All about lost love and being fucked over and, yeah, kind of being a nobody. And <laughs> yeah. The songs that make you so emotional, you have to go and pick up a prostitute and go yeah. to the nearest hotel. And... Well, uh, songs that make you first cry and then maybe do all of those things <laughs> yeah yeah all of the others i think have been set in quite sort of enclosed communities yeah um, you know with these like focusing on a, a like a either a family or a surrogate family and, and here it's a much you know it's about the whole society and it, which is in a way and like opening on that scene in the street rather than opening in in a house with a group of people felt felt stylistically very different and that may just be i mean we've, we've only seen what four or five of his films yeah made many more films it may just be that's that reflects the choice that that movie had made or that the, re the restorations have, have made yes but it's interesting it is interesting because this is the first film that we've seen that takes place outside and you know with the protagonist constantly on the run yeah from one area to another uh yeah it's also, I think, set in contemporary Mexico City. So it's the Mexico City of the mid-70s. Uh, and I thought it was interesting as well because we get a real sense of the society and the culture. Like, yeah. you know, it's one of those films that make you think, perhaps erroneously, that, oh, this is what Mexico is like. This is what people wore. This is, you know, the shops that people went to, the trucks that they drove, the jobs they had. Because at one point there's a massive sign that says 1978 yeah which is the year it was made so it's very clear so you know you can't miss the fact that this is this is set today yeah so and i think it's important to what the film is trying to do and the mm. meanings it's trying to convey yeah that you know this is mexico now you know we're all distracted by football yeah but this is a story of a man not unlike you and he's fucked <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Well, one interesting thing about the cast, I was, I was just looking at IMDb, at what else they've done, and the uh, the guy who played the, the corrupt policeman uh, is called Nar Narciso Busque, I don't know how Busquets, you pronounce yeah. it. So the photo on his IMDb profile is him aged about 12 holding this big award. And you look down his credits and he's had he had this career, he was born in about 1931, the opinion seems different on his year of birth, but his first role was in 1937. Wow. And so he had this long career as a child actor and then just continued working continuously. I mean, what's amazing is he had a 40-year 40, 40 career, uh, but died age 59. Wow. Which is, you know, quite quite amazing. Um, um, yeah, it was a shame he died early. But, but, but yeah, I, I don't think I've seen any of his films as a young actor, but I'm sure some of them are quite well known. And, and um, you sort of wonder whether there's a resonance there if you're Mexican watching this film that, you, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know, Daniel Radcliffe or somebody. Yeah, yeah. No, there must be because I mean, even even for us who have just seen a few of these films, uh, to see the star of a place without limits here, you know, as just like a little a petty criminal, it was a, a jolt to see him. It was a jolt to yeah, see him yeah. play straight. Yeah. So yeah, he's not playing this drag queen that you saw him do before. I think cinema is like that, period, right? But, of course, you know, when you're looking at a foreign cinema, you are less skilled 
yeah, uh, in making those connections, really. Yeah. Anyway, I thought if you see it as a noir, which it is, yeah, I think, you know, I did go on this journey from thinking, like, how are you, what the hell's going on? How unusual. This is not what yeah, you expect yeah. from Arturo Ripstein. Yeah, and then by the last shot, I thought, wow, this is great. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've, well, you've perhaps persuaded me of its merits. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope we persuade other people. I'm really eager to explore more of Arturo Ripstein, so I must say I am increasingly impressed. And this time, uh, also just by the variety. Mm. It is a film that is also uh, based on a novel, so... The screenplay is by Ripstein and Vicente Leñero, and it's based on a novel by Luis uh, Spota uh, that's called Lo de Antes. Uh, and Lo de Antes means uh, what happened before or from the past or, yeah. Uh, and of course, I suppose it ties in to this idea that you, you can't escape your past, yeah, uh, which is one of the themes of the film. You know, you live in a world that has no way out. There's no exit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, a wonderful film, which, which I really highly recommend. All right. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we are thinking aloud about film. Uh, I'm Jose. I'm Richard. And we'll continue with uh, our investigation of Arturo Ripstein on movie. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Mi destino fatal. Que te dio.